0: to the first of four episodes on moisture-associated skin damage. This podcast is brought to you by Wound Care People in partnership with Medicare Plus International. This episode will explain what MASD is and highlights the problems it can cause for clinicians and patients. I'm Nicola Rusling, a writer and editor at Wound Care People, and I'm joined by three great clinicians, Alison Parnum and Joy Tickle, who are tissue viability nurse specialists, and Dale Copson, a clinical services manager. A good place to start our discussion is by describing what MASD is. Over the years, a variety of descriptions have been used, such as moisture lesions or incontinence-associated dermatitis, and this can lead to confusion. So what is meant by MASD?
1: Yeah, thanks, Nicola. I think you've raised some, some key issues there. And I think part of it is that for a very long time, skin damage due to moisture has been referred to as a moisture lesion and that's terminology that that many clinicians are now familiar with. However, this was really only primarily associated with damage caused by incontinence. So I feel very strongly that because of that, the other types of damage caused by overexposure to moisture were therefore either ignored or actually misunderstood.
2: I like how MASD is referred to as an umbrella term that's used to collectively describe the the different manifestations of skin damage that can occur over time and under various circumstances i mean ultimately to have a moisture associated skin condition there must be moisture that comes into contact with the skin so using the term masd hopefully gives a clinician a broader understanding that the implications of this problem are not solely related to one specific clinical issue
1: yeah and i think In terms of how how this change in terminology has impacted practice more widely, I think it has definitely increased awareness and changed the focus of maybe how nurses actually think and what they're thinking about when they are assessing the patient's skin. So it gives them a broader knowledge to focus on the other types of MESD.
3: Yeah, and I think finally, we you know when we're talking about that moisture associated skin damage, whatever the actual causal fact is, um, I think we will all agree that it has a significant detrimental effect on the patient's quality of life, doesn't it? It causes considerable pain, discomfort, um, and physical and mental distress and, and, and also leads to, you know, a lot of uh, difficulty and time sometimes for the clinician or carer to manage uh, MASD, doesn't it?
2: Definitely agree with the joy, yeah. Alison. Absolutely,
3: 100%. It
0: sounds as though MASD can occur in lots of different ways. So does it affect any patient group in particular?
2: You know, people of all ages can develop moisture-associated skin damage from, from neonates, through to the extremely elderly. So in essence, MASD has no age barrier if the skin is, is, is exposed or overexposed to excessive moisture.
0: So where there's moisture, there can be MASD?
2: Potential damage, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I absolutely agree, Dale. I think that's a really valid point. Um, I also think that, that from the evidence, individuals with continence problems specifically do have a higher risk in comparison to other types of MESD. And this also means that we should be focusing on all types. But an interesting fact is that, you know, an estimated 14 million adults experience incontinence in England alone. So this specific population is at very high risk of developing IAD. And in in focusing on this for a moment with urinary incontinence alone, it's primarily due to the wet or macerated skin surface becomes permeable to the normal flora microbes. And secondly, the presence of urine changes that skin pH from an acidic to an alkaline mantle, further impairing the skin's barrier function. And with fecal incontinence, we have something different. We have lipolytic and proteolytic enzymes that are corrosive on the skin surface remembering that liquid stool has a higher number of enzymes. So that combination of of urine and feces or urinary and fecal incontinence, those enzymes will continue to break down the urea in the urine, continue to increase the pH with with ammonia, and again, increasing the presence of those corrosive enzymes. So it's a bit of a cycle that that we need to break and, and to learn to break that as clinicians but Joy, what are your thoughts? Maybe more on different types of of MESD, peri wound maceration, for example.
3: Yeah, and that's something I I do obviously working in wound care feel very passionate about, and um, that sometimes we don't associate. Peri um, wound skin damage with MASD. What um, we know, wound exudate um, is essential for wound healing process. It brings essential nutrients, oxygen, um, and cells to the wound he- to the wound bed itself. But also, wound exudate will contain um, waste products. It'll contain irritants and enzymes that are going to cause significant and can cause significant damage to the wound and the surrounding skin. If left in contact for long periods. Um, so it, it's that part of the element of, of the moisture we need to address so then the surrounding skin is damaged by the fluid it the fluid becomes corrosive to the skin it irritates the skin and it can break the skin down um and it you know so it's those factors and and sometimes if we are changing the dressing more frequently because of that problem with the management of that exudate we're going to strip that skin as well so we're again already causing um or could be potentially causing further skin damage through stripping that, that, that layer of skin through frequent dressing changes.
2: Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I think um, also we need to consider the, the, the issue of obesity. You know, the UK has a growing weight problem with more than two thirds of the population being classed as obese or overweight. So individuals in this particular group are... I won't say more likely, but highly likely to suffer with MASD due to them having more excessive skin folds. You know, the sweat gets trapped in these folds with minimal air circulation, so it can't evaporate. So the skin becomes overhydrated, macerated, which in turn leads to to localized inflammation. It weakens the integrity of the skin, thus increasing the risk of of potential skin damage going forward. So it's you know I think um, in, the inclusion of of into trigo as a potential MASD is, is a great addition. Um, I think also, if I may carry on, this, this type of damage is also known uh, a known complication for ostomates. So, so individuals with stomas, it's been reported that nearly 80% of this patient group experience skin problems, and it's, it's commonly seen in ileostomy patients, and that's because of the the, the, the consistency of the stool, the type of surgery they've undergone, where that comes into contact with the skin and starts to irritate it and cause potential skin damage.
1: Yeah, and I and I think I, you know I think there's also maybe less often, but other types um, of of potential MESD to consider as well. For example, with tracheostomy patients, mm-hmm. where there may be some leakage onto the skin. Um, for neonates, where where IED can actually be be fatal. Um, but also maybe for for um, dribbling or you know saliva has enzymes in it so maybe from a dribbling, dribbling um, perspective from neonates but also for for other trauma situations like for example brain injury patients where there is less control over over saliva production and equally that can be quite corrosive.
2: That's what I was going to say you know my experiences I've been to sort of neurological units and i <laughs> um, reviewed patients that had brain injury and quite commonly you, you know if they're drooling you notice that they've developed some sort of moisture associated with skin damage sort of under the chin because they're, they're in a certain position they're drooled it's dripped down it's collected in that in that chin mm-hmm. and often you see that linear uh, skin damage you know associated with with the uh, masd in skin folds
3: mm. and, and and you've got me thinking now Dale about all sorts of clinical areas and and you know we've talked about in it but it's it's any moisture isn't it any any chemical irritants and you made me think then about patients who no disrespect you know we have to help with feeding or or giving you know taking drinks and sometimes I've seen where you know the 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 drink or you know or the the food should I say has been left on that skin and I know you know I don't mean that in a, a derogatory way but again that is that, that contact with that skin is going to cause that damage, and I think you know it makes you start thinking about you know that moisture, however it it looks or in whatever form it is, can cause that that skin damage, little areas or big areas, also larger areas, should I say? Yeah, and
1: I think that's that's it. Really helps us to focus on this as a as a wider picture and understand how complex this type of tissue damage can be. Um, And it can have a major detrimental effect on patient's quality of life in lots of different ways, not just with increased pain and discomfort, uh, but including that, this quite specific experience of burning or an itching sensation. And that can hugely impact on both physical and mental well-being, um, potentially causing distress and anxiety for the patient, for the family who are watching that.
0: Thanks very much. We're now going to hear a short message from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Medicare Plus International, leading the way in skin and wound care. To find out more about the products and resources mentioned on this podcast, please visit medicareplus.co.uk. So what is it about MASD that can make it so hard to treat?
3: I I think, um, to be honest, Nitha, it's because there are different... um, We're talking about more than bodily fluids, aren't we? It's it's a little bit more... uh, There's more contributing factors to moisture-associated skin damage than just the moisture you know we've just mentioned some as it's just like chemical factors or even just friction mechanical factors as well and I think that can make it hard because you've got to think about all of those elements not just one cause there are you know not just the key cause but other the causes I think for me personally in practice what I've what I experience and 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 what patients tell me and also carers that I think a lot of patients are really embarrassed, really embarrassed to report skin problems associated particularly, let's let's say, with excessive moisture such as urine or faeces or even just excessive sweating. You know, they may hide that problem because they're embarrassed to talk about it. You know, but maybe in areas of the body that they're embarrassed to talk about it, maybe groins under, under their breasts. Um, and, it, and it becomes almost... Well, a barrier to to talking or asking for help or even discussing that the the skin is beginning to feel sore and break down. So I think for me as a clinician and for carers, that makes it harder to treat because we tend to be asked about the problem or ask for advice when it becomes quite complex. Rather than trying to prevent it, we're, we're reacting to the problem. Equally think there is still a a reduced or or a lack of awareness and understanding sometimes, those gaps in general knowledge around MASD. Um, So again, I think for that reason, that there may be clinicians or carers or even uh, GPs and doctors who don't ask for advice or report it because they're generally unaware of it, um, less confident about managing it. But that—that's the wrong, you know. I'm not saying everybody does that, but I do still see, again, as as a clinician, you know, not the, the, the referrals to, uh, to to other clinicians for advice and support with this. It's quite delayed. And I think again, it's it's it could be those gaps and lack of understanding as well as.
1: Yes, I, I agree really, Joy. And I think there is an ongoing problem with that differential diagnosis with other skin conditions and, and that lack of awareness around MESD and, and that umbrella term. So it's complex um and it's increasingly common. You know, we're seeing many more um, situations where MSD MESD comes in, into play. Um, there seems to be less of a priority given to the different types of MESD. I do believe that, that really the focus is still IAD and maybe, as I said, that's the, this sort of confusion with the earlier term, moisture lesion. Um, I think there may also be an element of unfamiliar terminology and almost that, that because of that, it acts as a barrier for for. Um, clinicians becoming used to to new terminology can sometimes be a barrier to get that uh, that accurate diagnosis.
2: Yeah, but I definitely agree. I think, you know, there definitely, well, there is a lack of awareness, as as both of you have said. I I also think there's, in the past, been a lack of standardised prevention and management strategies. And the lack of this will impact on clinical decision making um, in relation to what is the most appropriate course of action to manage this this, this particular skin problem at this particular time.
0: That's really interesting. And Dale, can I ask if you think there is a link between MASD and pressure ulceration?
2: Definitely. It's well de- documented that the overhydration of the skin reduces the effectiveness of, of mechanical forces, uh, for example, um, friction and shear, which we know in turn can further exacerbate the, the risk of that particular individual um getting pressure damage or a pressure ulcer
3: i think also though that um in response to that i think some clinicians have difficulty as well in distinguishing between, between moist damage and pressure damage and and what i've and i have seen that in practice that sometimes a pressure ulcer is reported as um or or, or documented as, as moisture lesion and vice versa particularly. The category one and two pressures, so I'm not talking about the significant uh, damage caused by category three and four. So, in two, with that, we get inaccurate diagnosis, inaccurate reporting. Um, you know, and, and it's recognised then that you know that patient, um, we may not put in the timely, um, effective management for the patient because of that inaccurate reporting. Well, sorry, I, I diversified a little bit about that because we're asking about the link between MASD and the increased risk of pressure ulcers. And, and I do a, a, a agree with Dale that there is a, a higher recognition that patients with MASD are at a greater risk because their skin integrity is already at risk, isn't it? Their, their skin integrity can can be um, uh, damaged or potentially damaged due to that excessive moisture. Um, and if the skin is, is at risk or already damaged, the fragility of the skin is... is um, is increased also so what I'm trying to say there is that any of any of the patients I may see or when I'm teaching uh, that may um, have or be at risk of MASD I will always say all of those patients with risk of potential skin damage are at higher risk of pressure ulcer development so please look at that holistic assessment prevention strategy for both for both the, you know for all of those patients so even if the patient doesn't have a uh, pressure ulcer damage, thank goodness. Um, I am putting in pressure ulcer prevention strategies because they have MASD, which puts them in a higher risk of that. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it it does. And I certainly feel that, that patients with MASD are at greater risk of pressure ulceration. You know, we see it in clinical practice. We see that increased risk. Their skin integrity and condition is already compromised. The anatomical side, and this is the difficulty is that the anatomical site Mm. and appearance of pressure damage and moisture damage can be similar. But of course, Mm. it's so important to remember that the treatment um, and preventative strategies will will differ. There may be a combination of both, but when you're looking focusing on each of those different types of tissue damage, the, the very specific treatment and prevention will differ.
0: Thanks, Alison. Based on your experience, do you think that MASD is more prevalent than pressure
1: ulceration? Gosh, Nicola, I think that's a really good question. Um, unfortunately, I don't believe we actually know the answer to that to that question, and I think that's because currently there is no national prevalence or incidence data, so we don't really know the true extent of the problem. I could I can guess, and I can talk about my own clinical experience, but that doesn't doesn't give that doesn't necessarily represent the the wider population.
3: I agree. It's it's a difficult question to answer because, as as Alison said, we've no baseline data to compare against. And, you know, um, one organisation might be recording a certain aspect of that data. Another organisation may not be reporting anything. So, you know, without that baseline data to compare, it's very, very difficult.
0: That's very true, Joy. I know NHS Improvement revised their recommendations in 2018 to count and report MASD incidents in addition to pressure ulceration. Do you think there's no movement in the right direction, Alison? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Gosh, well, I don't. I don't really think so, not yet. And, and partly because it's not it's not a mandatory requirement. You know, the NHSI have made recommendations. So the difficulty with that is that, that trusts interprets and, as a result, have adopted separate categories for each type of of MESD in the reporting. Some of them have done that, whilst other trusts have have only mechanisms to report severe IAD. So we don't get that that sort of equilibrium and and consistency across organisations, which, of course, makes it very difficult to to monitor um, and, and get the full picture.
3: For me, if the recommendation to report MASD has been directed from NHSI, then I think all providers should follow recommendations and we should take accountability for that. Um, and, and, and I do agree, we, we've we already said this, we do need the nationally agreed reporting system so that we're all using the, the, the correct t- terminology.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the recommend, the recommendations should be mandatory. And, and very specific about, um, you know, whilst there is with very specific details of what's being reported and this shouldn't be optional. You know, we shouldn't be having those differences across organisations.
3: I know we mentioned NHS organisations, but I agree. It, it's everybody's responsibility. So that's private care uh, agencies, private care Uh, uh, homes, nursing homes, residential homes. Uh, I don't think it just sits within NHS organisations either. Absolutely. So is data collection the answer?
0: Will it see a decrease in MASD incidents?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting point, Nicola. And I do think, you know, it shouldn't be a paper exercise, of course, and and collecting data for, for data collection's sake. But I think by collecting this data, there is an opportunity for it to be analysed for key themes to be identified, and for quality improvements to be made to reduce MESD incidents. And and I strongly believe that until we get that consistency with reporting across all organisations, this cannot be truly quantifiable.
0: So we all agree there is a lack of data around incidents. What else do you think might be missing?
1: Yeah, I feel definitely there are still gaps in the knowledge and the clinical skills in the, the diagnosis, so we're talking about assessment there, but in the diagnosis, prevention and management of, of MESD, and, and really within my organization, um, we, we have implemented guidelines to support clinicians, but there still continues to be less emphasis on MESD in comparison to pressure ulcers, for example. And I think we can learn lessons from that. You know, a great deal of education has been implemented across organizations with regards to pressure also prevention and management um, and, and, you know, as well as national campaigns. And so I think it's really important that, that we, we strive to achieve the same and know that we can because we've seen it work um, with, MA, you know, we've seen it work with pressure also. So let's see it work with, with MASD, which is equally unavoidable harm, but we don't put the same emphasis on it.
3: And I think, um, you know, th- that continuity across all care settings, I know I keep talking about that, or, or I have talked about that, is is we need to continually raise the awareness, not just in acute and community care sec- settings, let's not forget about our uh, you know some of our patients have private carers now we have agency staff uh, private care companies we need to work together break down those barriers work together with with everybody involved in delivering care for that client or that patient because M A S D is associated a great deal of time with 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 hygiene or 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 personal care that's what i'm trying to say with personal care so and a lot of that personal care is delivered by a carer you know whether that carer be private or or a hospital carer and you know i have in my own experience heard um you know vice versa a carer say oh i'm not applying that cream to that patient's skin because that's a nurse's role or a nurse say "Oh, oh no that's the carer's role and, and there's almost this barrier, this wall about whose responsibility it is. And again, we're going back to responsibility. But to me, it's delivering the best care for the patient by the right person. And, and we have to work together. We've got to break down those barriers and, and ensure that we've got that, as we've just said, an integrated approach, focusing on, on that prevention of that MASD for the patient.
0: So um, as specialist practitioners, what are the most common issues you encounter in relation to MASD Um, and what, if anything, do you feel is missing?
2: Well, I mean, I think for me, um, I mentioned it earlier that there's that increased awareness that needs to be be raised, uh, particularly in terms of the, the different manifestations of MASD as well as the, the sort of the correct or most appropriate prevention and management strategies. Now, there's been a lack of a consensus for several years, although recently we now have a new consensus document, which we'll be discussing later on in this podcast series. Um, I also feel we're missing a specific risk assessment tool for MASD, like like those used for pressure or prevention. We need something more specific and dedicated to highlighting that particular individual's risk of of developing MASD.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree, Dale. And I think there is that missing link um, with specific risk assessment tools. And there's also a very clear need for specific care plans. You know, again, if we follow the process of of pressure ulcer prevention, then, you know, we identify the risk, we develop a plan of care um, to to prevent. Um, So it's about being proactive and not reactive to the damage already there. Uh, We also need, you know, maybe patient information leaflets, if we're going to be targeting agencies, um, carers in their own home, we need that greater level of of interagency and interdisciplinary working.
3: I agree. I think we need a, a, a wider national campaign, as we've talked about, and that standardised reporting process. But also, again, that that joined up working, as I call it, uh, you know, that increased MD, multidisciplinary team working between, as we've talked about, private care agencies, non-private. Private carers, family carers, you know, a lot of care is delivered by family members who will deliver their own skincare. And and it's up to us to, uh, you know, support them, give them that platform of support to know. For me, it's it's that early recognition that they have a problem or potentially have a problem so we can prevent that MASD. So, finally,
0: can we discuss the impact that COVID 19 has had on MASD management?
1: I believe COVID 19 has led to a certain amount of, of increased self-supported care um, or, or self-care and clini- clinicians as a result of that are having to support patients and their families to be more involved in their care. I do think this is a good thing. It encourages patients to be autonomous and to be empowered, which I think in turn enhances engagement and motivation and definitely can, can improve the patient's clinician relationship increased confidence and that level of control for the patient but as I say this has to be pre-planned and safe with good communication good care planning and of course not all patients are necessarily suitable for supported self-care but it is a discussion that needs to be undertaken
3: I, I agree. I think uh, I'm a true advocate for self-care, but that's supported self-care, you know, and, and for the right patient, you know, in the right environment. I mean, their environment uh, may not be suitable um, and at the right time. And, and even for the patient, you know, if the patient doesn't want to be involved in that supported self-care, totally respect that.
2: If I could just sort of add to that as well, you know, we're concentrating or focusing on, on our patients and the patient care. Yeah. But we mustn't forget, you know, our, our frontline key workers, our mm. you know, healthcare professionals out there, they're wearing full PPE. Yeah. They, they too experience MASD, you know, and, you know, it'd be interesting to see the impact that it has on them, particularly, you know, particularly they see the patients with this, this condition and they're actually getting it on their face. Yeah, we see it in the, in the, in the press, it's on the news. It's, um, it's got a major impact.
3: And I've already had colleagues who've reported um, to, to myself or we've just discussed that they, they, they have had that, that skin damage as well. And I think particularly in the summer months, Dale, um, even reporting, uh, you know, uh, MASD associated with the excessive sweating in all of the PPE, uh, you know, in, in other body areas. Um, because I've wore it myself and it, it, it really is, um, yeah, extremely hot, extremely uh, claustrophobic as well. Thanks, everyone.
0: That was a really informative discussion and we look forward to catching up with you again in the next podcast when we'll be discussing assessment.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Medicare Plus International, leading the way in skin and wound care. To find out more about the products and resources mentioned on this podcast, please visit www.medicareplus.co.uk.